for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. It's part two of our series, our top 10 elk hunting failure points. The goal of this series is to help you identify, find, and eliminate possible failure points that could turn opportunities into a woulda, coulda, shoulda stories that will be heard in elk camps all over the West this fall. And you can bet the farm, y'all, we've definitely experienced a few failure points in our day, and I'm sure there are plenty more to come. But that's all right. This elk hunting journey is all about learning moments. So y'all, let's get with it and just figure out this thing together. That discussion, some Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, we got the Venezuelan Mafia in the house from the DFW area, Manano Gratarón, and the Katy, Texas area. That's right, the one and only Luis Gonzalez. And from Burnett, Texas, the Flatlander himself, Mr. Cole Wilkes. And from Cimarron, we got them both tonight. We got the ninja, Leroy Chavez, and we got WWJGD is in the house. What would Joe Gillia do, guys? What's up, fellas? 
You What's know what, up, brothers? Dude, dude, how come what I up, look y'all? like I look red compared to everybody here? What's <laughs> up with this, huh? Yeah, I mean you've taken it to quality. another level. I mean, if hey, you man, it was that first intro, Joe, that really got your role in, my brother. I'm glad you the first intro, man. Well, at least edit, you, look, you look red, but Luis looked—I mean, ugly, like pale. You're probably you're probably sick, Luis. I, I look at everybody else, and I look at Luis and Manano and Chad. You guys are all about the same color, and then Gilbert and Cole about the same color. I'm like red as friggin' Mars, man. It's a yeah, baseball well, game. You went we to. we haven't taken it to the next level like you with makeup and all of that, Joe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. You guys are more makeup. Yeah. He's got his own makeup person there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's the same the same guy that got the haircut done for both Manano and. And Joe, they're giving yeah, it away. She's yellow. She's yellow. You see, because we've got the twelve-year-old fade going on, bro. Don't start yeah, with that. Twelve-year-old fade. Yeah, they didn't have. Uh, they, don't have man sal- they don't have man salons there, fellas. It's good to see you, man. We got a hot one tonight, guys. Lots of stuff coming up with the failure points, and I know Joe's ready to kick it off. Yep, absolutely. But before we get started into that, um, just want our listeners to know and understand that. The bros, we're going to be taking June off for some family time. And what that's going to mean is we're still going to have our shows coming up. Um, We're going to have some shows that we've already done. But the rest of the Failure Point series Mm -hmm. will continue when we start back up in July. And we've got a great lineup of some other things that are going to happen from July all the way through September to when we're up in the mountains again. So I just want everybody to know that, you know, I've really decided to kind of go dark to dedicate some time to family. We all need to do that. We're getting ready to get crazy once August and July is here, man. Or I think that goes July, August. I mean, really, guys, we're three months away from being back yeah, in the hills. Crazy. And I can't awesome. wait, man. Yeah. yeah. So well, and, and you know, our, our stuff's changed a little bit, so we got a little bit of anxiety built up with that. So at the end of the day, I mean, we're gonna get to go elk hunting all together, and I think that's that's uh that's well, you know what, right man. I look, I'm friggin' excited, and everybody keeps I keep hearing this, it's gonna be so much tougher, you know, where you guys are gonna go and you're gonna have to deal with all the people. And oh, you know what? Tough I'm, stuff in New Mexico, <laughs> dude, they got the off. juices flowing, man. I mean, my juices yeah. are flowing, it's like. Let's rock, man. You know, give me a challenge. Heck yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm sure, you know, I'm, we're going to get out there with the rest of them and get after it, man. That's uh, it. You know, and, and that's all camp, you, do. you know, it was, look, in our camp, we're going to have RC Knox. We got Cole oh Wilson camp. We got the entire oh crew right here in the camp. You know, I've got another buddy that's going to be showing up in camp over there as well. And uh, I mean, it's going to be such a cool time for all, all of us, man, we got the mafia and, you know, uh, at that time, you know, Manano is going to be putting on the show at camp, man. He's going to be showing everybody what's going on over there. And he, he will have his trusty assistant, you know, cooking right along with him over there. You know? <laughs> That's a right term. <laughs> you just nail it, Joe. You nail it. <laughs> the, the, tr- the truth of the matter is, I'm, you can gonna, be you can be the lead coup. I'm, I'm gonna tell you right I'm now. Cool I'm so that. excited to have RC Knox in camp with us. Y'all don't know what, how I, I, y'all probably heard me talk about RC, but he's one of my favorite guys. I've been elk hunting with him many, many moons. 
and uh, he is like elk hunting royalty to me. So well, just having him be around us in camp is going to be. Let me tell you what, I have heard more from R.C. Knox in the last month. I mean, he is so excited to be tied in with the bros. He's excited about getting up in the hills. He's already talking about, do I shoot my nuclear bow? Do I shoot my recurve bow? And I mean, <laughs> I have heard more from this guy in the last month than I've heard from him in the last five years, man. It, I it, love it, that guy, man. It's so, so cool. cool to have him back. It is so cool to hear that passion. But I just want everybody to know, you know, when we go dark in June, you know, you, our regular business, like if you buy stuff from the store, that's still going to happen, but you won't see us on Instagram. Emails won't be uh, as quick to get responded to. We will still have a show out every Thursday and we got some pretty cool stuff. And hopefully you enjoy that till all of us get back together. And, and I, and I think all of us need to take that time and reflect a little bit and reach down deep inside and find ourselves, you know. But I mean, so, <laughs> it's going to be good, Joe. I'm be, my, we're going to be playing ball, traveling. So, yep. I mean, cool. it's going to be This, awesome. this be conversation awesome. took a whole different <laughs> route. I was expecting. But, hey, uh, it'll give everybody some time to get rid of some of those honeydews. You know, that stuff yeah. piles up before we leave anyway. Yep. And if you don't take care of mama, it ain't going to be oh, good whenever you don't, when you get back, boy. Absolutely, right. man. Yeah, some, somebody's somebody's got problems with mama. That's what it's all about. Somebody's learned to not have problems with mama. Four months out of the year. <laughs> the other eight, man, is taking care of TCB. That's it. So, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for the Elk Road yeah, Shoutouts. If you're new to our show, this just shout yeah, out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And we do have a video shout out, man. And you guys oh, nice. Movies, so let's go ahead and get our video shout out rocking here. Hey, everybody. It's Baker from Parker, Colorado. Want to give a big Elk Road shout out and a grinder shout out to all the guys here in Colorado who got their tags today. We drew our tags in our camp. We've got uh, three elk tags, a bear tag, two deer tag. And uh, this year, I'm going to be using my new <laughs> adult arrow. Uh, 204, cool. made by yours truly, Luis Gonzalez, the leader of the Venezuelan Mafia. <laughs> oh, please. Got nice arrows, too, but look at this bad boy. All right. So I want everybody to have a good season this year and elk up. <laughs> my man, my man, somebody who, who really understands what's up. But did, did you hear Thank that? Thank you, brother Scott. Did, did you hear that at the end? He was like, Joe, you might have some really nice arrows too, but yeah. look what I got. I'm sorry. I got to get this <laughs> to build me some now. I can't be the only one left out. Man. Manana's going to show up in camp with these big heavy oh, no. ass arrows. Oh, no, he ain't. Oh, no, he, oh, no, he no. ain't. Oh, no, he ain't. Oh, no, he ain't. I'm going to give him a try, Luis. We're going to get together uh, this week. And hey, then, but um, when Baker was talking trash, though, bro, when he was like that, and he was like, you know, look what I got. I said, all right, man, let's see who gets blood on the arrow first. <laughs> well, I guarantee you, man. you put an elk in front of me, it ain't going to matter whether it's got horns or hide on it. It's getting bloody, I'm telling you. Yeah, it don't matter if it's an adult no, diaper but, or it's a child diaper, right? And exactly. Scott, Scott is extremely positive, confident man. Talked to him today. He's like, man, this is the year. It's going to happen. We're going to make it happen. Absolutely. We're pumped. We're excited. We can't wait. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see that, man. Yep. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Scott. 
Okay, this week's top listening city takes its name from the largest natural body of water in North Dakota and the second largest body of water after Lake Sakakawea. That's right. <laughs> the Dakota tribe considered the lake holy until they believe the Dakota tribe considered the lake holy because they believe it is the home of the underwater serpent Unk Tehai, a mythical being like a goblin with a bad disposition. Homesteaders hmm. misunderstood the legend, and with marketing in mind when naming the town, they came up with their closest version of the being in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake. North Dakota in the house. Yeah. So, Lake Sakakawea is beautiful. It, it is. I've been on Unbelievable. We call it uh, walleye on Sakakawea. Yeah. You know, I've been Beautiful. seeing a lot of people pulling walleye out lately, and I, that is one incredibly good eating fish right oh, there. Man. Fantastic. It's unbelievable. But uh, so, am, am, I, am I hearing this right that, that the lake was holy because they felt like it was this goblin type mythical being? And so the people that named the town didn't have a name for that being, so they just called it a devil. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Serpent. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. North Dakota, man. Uh, we got some buddies up in North Dakota. You guys, that's that oil field country you guys have been to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, been a lot of time up there, man. You bet. Hey, all our listeners up First there. place I ever met, Luis Gonzalez. That's right. That's where we met, brother. In North, in North Dakota, what, just what? outside of Williston. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm trying to figure out if that was a good or a bad thing, bro. I know it was a good thing. <laughs> right, uh, right here, we're here today. It was actually north of Dickinson, uh, north northeast of Dunn Center. That's right, northeast of Dunn, Dunn in Dunn County. Awesome, man. Yep. you're up next, sure. people. Yes, sir. This city is located in the north end of the Williamette Valley, between Portland and Salem. Originally named Halsey, the residents looked for a different name because there was already another Halsey, Oregon. The new name came about after a controlled burn got out of hand and burned a woodlot in the 1880s. It was one of the local railroad officials that witnessed the fire and renamed the community Woodburn, Oregon. Woodburn, Oregon. Oregon, Oregon showing up again, man. Showing oh. up, man. And, and so is cool. That, is that Willamette? Willamette. Willamette. Willamette? Oh, Willamette. Gotcha. Yeah, because I always get that wrong, man. And I, and I had guys that tell me, like, come on, Joe, let's get this straight. <laughs> so, Imagine our buddy Tony Wintrip got it right. I bet he does, man. Hey, Tony, how you doing, bud, man? This top listening city is recognized as the fastest growing large city in Iowa. Located in Dallas County, which is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. Apple Inc., chose this city as the location of a massive $1.38 billion data center. Folks, believe it, it was named after the Milwaukee Railroad in 1978. This is going to Waukee, Iowa. Waukee, Iowa. How cool, cool is that? That's the Midwest a, showing up. That's a shot in the economic arm when somebody comes in and puts a $1.38 billion. Billion dollar. Data center. Yeah. Man. Big shot in the arm. Yeah. All right. Next up, commonly thought to be named in association to the Spanish Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon. 
The town is actually named in its location uh, for its location on the Leon River. The city hosts one of the oldest festivals in Texas, the Peach and Melon Festival. It began in 1914, and among its many activities are events like carnival, car show, tractor pull, and watermelon slicing. The Guinness World Record for watermelon seed spitting, 75 feet and two inches, was proudly <laughs> set right here in De Leon, Texas. Man, that's, that's one heck of a spit. <laughs> how can you 75 freaking 75 feet man so i'm like all right you know being a track coach and everything i'm like okay i want to know the weight of this seed was it the same weight everybody else that's such a it's a, such a cool little town too uh it's right <laughs> north of it's right north of proctor lake there between stephenville and comanche and uh neat a really neat town. I've, I've been up there running through the oil field and stuff like that. And then had to go fish Proctor Lake with a friend of mine who's from up there who guides, uh, I guided for him, uh, deer hunting for a long time out in West Texas. He's from that area up there. So, so uh, when you drove really into cool that thing. town, do they have a picture of the dude that set that Guinness world record. I hadn't seen it, Joe, but I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, we had a couple of cold beers that night and went and ate chicken fried steak, and I, I probably wouldn't have cared what it looked like. So, uh, so there's a good cafe in town that, that serves uh, chicken fried steak, that's for What's sure. What's the name of that cafe, bro? Come on. I want to say it's Brady's or something like that. I can't remember off the name of my head, off the top of my head, what uh, what the name of the cafe was. So, so if, if really the name good. of the cafe is Brandy's, the owner's going like it's Brandy's. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. All right, this city is host to California's Midwinter Fair and is 19 miles from Mexicali, Mexico. Uh, this Southern California city is located in the Colorado desert, um, the Colorado desert and extension of the larger Sonoran desert. Its location is at the intersection of two major tectonic plates, huh. the San Andreas fault and the northernmost extension of the East Pacific rise fault. This region is subject to earthquakes, but ironically, it, uh, it's considered the safest city in California, Imperial California. Imperial, Imperial California. California. That's crazy. Uh, how many uh, earthquakes do you think they get like every couple <laughs> months or so? I mean, apparently it's the safest know. one, so maybe they don't get much. <laughs> oh, no. Being right on that fall, you'd think it'd be a lot. So uh, I wonder yeah. if the safest city rating has anything to do at all with the earthquakes or is more like no way. crime or something like that. You uh, know? I mean, like crime. Yeah, I bet uh, it's all crime. Yeah. Yeah. So the last <laughs> it's just funny how they, they, they combine the irony of the, you know, the earthquake with earthquakes and then saying it's the safest city. I, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> ever heard of Imperial California? Uh, so you guys, man, that are listening out there, we are glad to have you on the show tonight. And we're glad to give you the shout out, bud. And, and, uh, um, let us know if there's a, um, uh, Airbnb we can go stay at because <laughs> I want to go someplace safe, man. <laughs> Joe, that cafe, that cafe I ate at in, in De Leon is called the highway six cafe. It wasn't even close to Brady's. <laughs> I know what I said. Well, maybe maybe they sell a lot of beer in that cafe, and he didn't remember, man. Come on, I sure didn't. 
I remember where we were when we went there. All right. Awesome. Hey, so the topic of tonight's show, guys, we are continuing from last time. And this is the top 10 elk hunting failure points and how to avoid them. And guys, look, it's going to be tough because we're going to keep going through and listing these failure points and, and understand something. You guys that are listening out there, guys and gals that are listening. And remember, when I say guys, I'm a... I'm an ex-coach. I coach both girls and boys together, and I referred to my whole team. I said, guys, come here. I mean, it was just everyone. Yeah. So I don't mean to discriminate there. Uh, but one thing that w- we want you to realize is that there's two things that has to happen, man, in order for you to be successful And one, that, that I believe. And number one, you have to create opportunities. And there's a whole gamut of what we coach to be able to create those opportunities. And second thing is, man – he or she who makes the least mistakes usually wins, man, just like any ball game, right? Sure. And by eliminating failure points, those things that are going to show their or rear their ugly head at the wrong time in the wrong situation when things are tight, when you have an opportunity to punch that tag, that's when things go south on you, man. So what we are doing is, is you're actually going to get a ton more than 10, but we're going to have to figure out y'all what we're going to check Mark as our top 10 when we get done with this list. So um, right now we have already talked about poor shot selection, poor decisions after the shot, uh, the viralakes or, you know, letting the nerves and emotions get in the way of focus and execution, you know, as far as being a failure point. And I don't know that we really, I think we talked about a few things like how to avoid that, but I'm not, I'm not sure if the answer to that was as clear as it could be, but I think that's something that really needs to be talked about a lot. I think that's something that we need to talk about in a whole podcast because, um, I also think that the that our bro that brought it up, Luis, has really changed a lot in his hunting from what I've seen. So I think that's going to be a great conversation sometime. And we also talked about hunting elk where and when we have the smallest window for an encounter being a failure point. Now, these have not, except for poor shot selection, the rest of those weren't probably something that you originally shot, you know, thought about, you know, as far as a failure point. I mean, you could have a bull coming in and go to scream a bugle and have your, your reed go on it and be a failure point, right? I mean, anything that could cause a situation to go south. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue that discussion. We're going to keep putting those things down, and uh, we're going to let each of our guys contribute, and we're going to have those conversations and, and take that wherever it leads us. So um, I believe – Chav, you weren't with us last time. Manano wasn't with us last time. We're going to let you guys kind of go on this first. And Chav, we're going to we're going to start with you, bud, and and what you want to bring up as what you see as a top ten failure point. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to start with one that probably isn't in the top ten, but it's something that uh, you need to be aware of. Um, this is a failure point that could end your hunt before it even starts. And uh, uh, I have three instances, and I think it all occurred to you, Joe. You might, you know, you might uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, as memory serves me, uh, we had some weird stuff happen early. And this has to do with transportation, because uh, a lot of times we hunt out of camp, 
Right. But most of the time we drive to an, to an area in our four wheeler and then start the hunt. Mm-hmm. Or uh, in our earlier days, we drive the truck to a point and hunt from there. Mm-hmm. So see if you remember these failure points. I'll start with the truck incident first. We were actually deer hunting in Sugar Eat Canyon up in Raton. And I had killed my, my uh, first uh, mule deer and I dragged it down the hill across a paved road and waited for Joe. And when he came down and saw the, the deer, he was really excited. And, you know, I wasn't strong enough to put the deer in the back of the pickup. Joe was, he put it in the pickup and we took off to go downtown to celebrate. And halfway there, Joe pulls over and he goes, I don't remember putting my bow in the truck. Oh, yeah. so, so he got out and sure enough, no bow. You know, he had put the bow on top of the cab and took off. So we went back up the hill, only a, a what, 10, 15 minute drive. The bow was gone. So I uh, never found it, but Joe got a new bow out of it. <laughs> but the whole thing, the, the, the point of that is we were lucky that we were, you know, uh, close to Cimarron, you know, where he could actually go back to town to pick up a backup bow. So keep backup bow in mind. Um, another point. Another point, uh, I don't recall exactly how we were carrying the bows, but they were not in a bow case. Right. And this is elk hunting. And uh, one of the bows, and I think it was yours, it might have been mine. I don't. This is the one I'm not really sure of. It was it yours. Gra- it was mine. It grabbed a limb and just blew the bow up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, once again, I was lucky enough that we were able to drive to town and, you know, pick up a backup bow. Because nobody takes a bow press to camp, I don't think. You know, unless you have a but lot of time. Actually, bro, I don't know if you remember, we created a bow press with a come along and two. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Trees. Yeah. Do not do <laughs> so, this at home. Do not do this at home. Yeah. Okay. And and you couldn't do this with today's bows, and it depends yeah. on the type of bow that you have. But yeah, I mean, you know, the way they get compressed today with those parallel limbs is way different than the way they used to be, where you could kind of, you know, pull them through and kind of compress those down a yeah. little bit. But right. What happened with Chav's bow was again we're on the four wheeler and he's holding his bow by the handle a small branch comes in goes underneath and gets between you know his string and his k and his uh cam on the end pulls and so what does that do when when it derails it derails the string from the cam and just blows it up rolled it right off and boom just blew it up so wow um i you know guys do not travel anywhere on an ATV UTV um, without having your bow in a case because I did it one time and actually just got mud. Inside. Yeah. That was a, that was the third incident where you yeah. got mud and, and it blew your bow up too. So. And on the same note, uh, something that happened uh, to me was I was not, I didn't have a hard case. Mm-hmm. I had a soft case and I was, you know, we were tying them up on the back of the four wheeler with bungee cords and the vibration actually moved my sight. Mm-hmm. And so you don't check that when you get off the vehicle and grab your bow and start walking, you can draw it and everything draws you just fine. But if the sight is moved, then you're not, you're not going to be on point. I thought Manano so- loosened your sights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He tries. Probably, he yeah. tries. He always calls that. Look, I, you know, I, I carry a backup bow every time I go to camp. 
Um, I think it's perfect what Chav's talking about. Yeah. If you've got a backup bow, you better bring it, especially if you're going to be in the woods seven to ten days. Anything can happen. You know, sometimes when we fall down and crack something on a rock, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want that to happen to you because if you crack your string on a rock, it's going to cut it down. When it cuts it down, you will not have other strings back at camp. And not many of – now, Luis – Maybe bringing a, bro, a bow press with him because I think he likes to change all kinds of stuff on his bow. But at the end of the day, he may bring a bow pet press with him. But I'm still going to bring my backup bow that I'm that I'm very proficient with. And that's another thing. Make sure. Well, you what makes you What bow. makes you trip? I've done it. I've been coming down a steep hill before and actually step on a, st- a stick with one foot yeah, and then it lift that stick oh, up yeah. and hang it with my other foot. Oh, the other oh, foot, man. I there's no getting out of that one. There's no getting out of that one. I ate it. Yeah, I you go ass over like chicken. three or four times and go. I stand up and <laughs> my whole side housing has been over like oh, a yeah. half inch. It happens, man. Look, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. telling you, we were chasing a herd a couple years ago, me, Chav, Joe, and everybody, and we are on the – hard move and i fell and landed on my knee i'm gonna tell you what i thought i broke my leg on that mountain i was so mad dude oh my god i was mad i was mad number one because i knew i shouldn't have been going that hard after being so wore out but i also was mad because i didn't pick my foot up high enough for that turf monkey to grab my damn foot i was mad you know and when i landed on them rocks you know there is nothing fun about landing on a volcanic rock with your leg i threw my bow away from me so i didn't land yeah. on on it because i had an arrow knocked up i mean we're we're chasing a herd of elk and anytime we're above them right so they're trickling down below me anytime one could walk right up in front of me and i here i am you know so it was uh it was kind of haywire and <clears throat> but i have been lucky i've only had one guy come to camp with me uh pat uh Pat Salvo came to camp with me and he had something going really wrong with his bow. And I mean, oh, yeah. he would shoot at animals <laughs> and shoot it 40 yards in another direction. I mean, it was crazy what was going on with his bow. So he had to, we had to finally rig mine down and, and, uh, you know, get it to where he could shoot it for the rest. Don't of Don't wait time. until you get to camp to, to try your bow out. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. So Cole, Cole, do you, uh, do you have a backup bow? No, actually, that year I did not. Uh, Right now, do you have one? Oh, yes, sir, I do. Yeah, but Beto, do do you have a backup bow? I sure do. Jeff, you have a backup bow. Joe, you have a backup bow, right? (laughs) I know he does. I've never, right? Right? Yeah, I do too. Manano, do you have a backup bow? So it's really interesting. Oh, okay. So no, Joe, I, I, just, I just wanted him. That's that's all. We can Joe, move on to the next subject. Okay. Joe has killed, I don't yeah. know, 38, 37 uh, elk in his entire life, and he just got his yeah, but backup you haven't. bow. Yeah, but you haven't. I don't need a backup bow. I just okay. only, I only need one arrow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you said that last time. How many did he shoot? Like seven? But I killed my fool. <laughs> and, and, you know, to that point, though, man, I mean, um, I'm, I was very fortunate. That situation where Chav's talking about, I blow my bow up. I did not have a backup bow with me at camp. I ended up um, basically driving out of the mountain, going all the way home, mm-hmm. and which took me, you know, I didn't get home till that night. And, you know, <laughs> 
told my wife that I guess this isn't the year, man, because I, I had a bow in the house that had not been set up. It was one of my old bows that I shot, but again, I'm instinctive and I managed just to get everything set up after she gave me the riot act about the fact that, you know, I was feeling sorry for myself, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you know? So that was a cool <laughs> story. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Loretta set me straight and I grabbed yeah. the bow and went out, shot it, went back, showed up and next day killed an elk the next day with another bow. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't even know if I would, you know, I've never carried a backup bow. So Chav's given great advice. Um, yes. you know, man, if you're going to drive 20 or 30 hours, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, your, your, your hunt could end right absolutely. there. You know, and that extends to the release and potentially absolutely. a range finder as well. Yeah. Yeah, didn't you get didn't you get uh, peanut butter or something on your release, Luis? For you had to change. Must releases? have been Manano. <laughs> or my dreaming about Manano. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, though, on that note, with I, I want to go back to the whole first. The release is, you know, at Ooh. least find out if something were to happen with your release, if you could shoot an elk with your fingers under no. 30 yards and 20 yards find Maybe. out what that's like if that's something that you can do you might not be I got able it. To. My, my brace height is so small i don't think you can yeah might be able to do it with two fingers but i couldn't do it with three right. and pulling pulling my bow back with two fingers and i'm i, I you guys saw me do it and you saw me hit that tree no, so hard. Is that tree is dead. he, he um, just missed he, he missed a bucket like five i don't know 10 yards away yeah i didn't have He's a release an arrow, like and Chad makes another great point. He, myself, him, and Joe. One morning, we make a long run from camp in a UTV that I had borrowed from my cousin, and it's brand spanking new. Oh, I'm talking brand new, and an alternator goes out on the on the mule. Okay, we had no clue, right? We, I'm thinking it's a it's a battery, so I buy a battery. Right. We get Luis and Manano are coming in a couple of days later. They're going to bring us a battery. So they bring us a battery. We put it on there. And I'm thinking it ran down again the next time. We knew something was wrong with the mule. Right. But this is a brand new mule. It should be nothing wrong with it. Right. So we have to come off the mountain, go take it into Raton. And then they fix the mule in the same day. You know, that was crazy. But I all from now on I always carry an extra battery for my my side by side or my four wheel. I thought you'd go say, man, I, you know, how many of us carry an extra UTV? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it was we, going we that had way quite too. a few of them. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, we had what three UTVs in camp this past year. So, I mean, yeah. it was perfect. Now, it one thing good. I do want to bring up that was mentioned: we talked about the release and yeah. and having a backup, extra you know, extra. release with you. Um, but the other one, though, that RC, RC, like I told you, RC called me earlier today because yeah. he listened to the last podcast. And, man, he was just like going, well, you know, do this, do this. And and, and Luis, you know, with his Vitalakis, you know, he, we were talking all about that, man. He was just so excited about everything. But he said that one of the failure points is people's dependence on their rangefinder in a couple of ways. Agreed. Right. And, uh, and, and one way is, is that sometimes it happens so fast that you might not have a chance. And we've talked about this before. You don't have a chance to range. And that it happened to me last year. 
and that dependence ends up crippling you and, and that becomes a failure point. And mm-hmm. not only that, some people will trust in it so much. It's like that dog on GPS that you're going across by Lake Erie and it tells you to take a right and drive into the lake. And so you just turn and do it because the GPS yeah. <laughs> told you to do it. Right. Some people <laughs> will, will click off on that thing, man. And it's like, Oh, it, you know, and the animal's out there 60 yards and it says 38, 38. And so they shoot it for 38. Right. You know, so yeah, I've been which, which, which yeah, been? 18 and he was 61. I'm like, what? what? 18. I'm like, come on, Chad, we got to do a better job than that, man. Clickety, 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 clickety. Finally moves. There was a twig sticking up in front of him. He finally moves and he goes, yeah, 61. I'm like, done, done. And, and then the story of which bin. Yeah. All of them. yeah yeah a buddy of mine bruce gainer he's hunting with joe and the bull walks in within seven yards of him and he goes joe, which pin and joe's like all of them man <laughs> it doesn't matter he's within seven yards you know so, again all these stress points that that happen to you you know for me man when i get in a set I, the first thing i do is pull my rangefinder out and range some objects in my set you know and i want to know where 30 where 40 yards is that's where i want to know cuz right. basically my 20 and 40 yard pin and up and down they're about six and a half eight inches somewhere in that neighborhood uh i'm not going to be that far off if i feel like he's closer to that my 20 yard pin is always my gauge, right? But if I've had an opportunity to range him at 30, 35, well, then I'll know exactly. But man, I gap shoot a lot of times because I know the range in my head. Right. You know, I know what 40 yards looks like, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, when he's out past, you know, 50, 60, Ooh. 70 yards, I've already ranged that. Yeah. You know? But, but it's always good in this if, year. He caught with the rangefinder in his hand, and the bull is coming straight at him, and he can't draw, he can't move or anything. The bull's thirty-one yards from him. Yeah. I mean, he's from thirty-one yards, and Brandon's like this. But I'm if you do through. have the chance, <laughs> if you do have the chance to confirm your distance, do it because oh, no doubt. you know yeah. it's, uh, it's crucial. It's definitely important important to un- to really understand that distance before yeah, taking and, a shot. And I tell, look, I tell every one of you, I don't care if you uh, if you shoot pins, if you if you own the best rangefinder ever, know thirty yards and in. Yeah, know man. it, know it. For me, it's forty. I I need to know what forty yard yeah. looks like all yeah. the time, and I train myself to do that. You know, yeah. it takes a lot. You got to work at it. You know, it's like Joe. Joe didn't get instinctive shooting down the first time he did it. It took yeah. a lot of string time to yes. get that to happen. And that's the same thing with judging distance. You need a – and look, when you shoot through a corridor, everything's going to look further. Yeah, right? that's really important. I was going to bring that up because sometimes distances are deceiving yeah, up yeah. in the mountains. And one of the things yeah. – and we've talked about this in some of the other podcasts, Some something that really helps – with building that confidence in judging distances is 3d shooting. Yeah. 3d shooting. And trying to be challenging yourself while in the woods, just trying to be all the time ranging and making calculation and then ranging and yeah. to see how far you are and just, just and challenge yourself. That's you what can, it, you can do a cardboard cutout of the distance on the back of the general distance from the back of a, a bull to his belly and then 
put that at a distance, get your pins up there and find out. Now it's not going to work for everybody, but find out which of those gaps at that distance on your, on your pins fit that cardboard. So that tells you how far away it is. Oh yeah. You know? Ah, good okay. idea. It's its own built in. I follow you finder. now. Yeah. It's own built in range finder. They've done that for years with pins. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, 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 it's how similar. I gap. It's how I gap shooting past 60, 70 yards. Similar to the concept of your, of your V site. It isn't yeah. the other direction. It is direction. a similar, con- the yeah. other direction. He's using the side to side. Right. And whereas, right. I mean, now you could, you could put that thing out there 50 yards and find out if which of those gaps would fit that so that you'd be able to tell how far an animal is without a range finder. That's cool, man. That's a good idea. I never thought of that. Even even talking about that, Joe, there's a failure point that happened to me deer hunting up in the mountains, shooting straight down the mountain, right? And understanding I can use my 20-yard pin out to 40 yards if I'm shooting straight down all day long, you know? And, And I didn't know that. I slapped a deer across the top of his back and, you know, it drew blood, but it just went straight up underneath his backbone another inch higher and I'd have spined him and we'd be celebrating. Right. But it went right under him. And I mean, it's like it never touched him, but I was shooting at him at 36 yards and I'm putting my, my, uh, 30 yard, I got my 30 and 40 yard pin and man, I blew right over the top of him and, you know, shot right, right through the top of his back. And if I'd have, I went back to camp just going, I don't ever miss at these distances. What's up with that? So I put my – at camp, I went up the hill, put my target down there. I could have shot to 40 yards with my 20-yard pin and been dead on, right? Yeah. And uh, so it's the same thing. It's same with shooting uphill. I mean, practice that stuff, guys. Don't, don't let that be a failure point because you didn't, you didn't work at it. So I was going to say something. Uh, yeah. with, like whenever I'm whitetail hunting, I've always got a target with me, and most of them we're hunting out of the truck, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of times whenever I'm backpack hunting, sometimes y'all, you might go days and days without shooting your bow because you don't have a target or anything like that out there. So you guys need to carry, uh, like I like to carry a judo point all the time. And me and Kyle after lunch, we'll, we'll be like, how far is that? How far is that stump over there? Yeah. And then we'll take a shot at it, just sure. guessing, because it's most time it's up against a hill. You're not going to yeah. lose your arrow. Yeah. And you can really judge that distance out there in the yeah. woods. So we make sure that we shoot our bows every day at something at some yeah. point just to stay kind of tuned up and ready. That's great. Uh, great advice. Yeah. Cool. I, I've, I have been saying all this time that I think the most important arrow on your bow is a judo point for that exact reason, man. Yeah. You know, because you hear everybody is always talking about. I sh- I get behind the string every day, man. I shoot so many arrows. Yes. Hey, then you go out on a hunt and you're not behind that string. You don't shoot your bow like you said for days sometimes. And yeah. I got news for you, man. I'm shooting. We every shoot day a lot in camp. camp. Yeah. 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 We shoot a lot in mm-hmm. camp. You know. Absolutely. And I don't yeah. shoot a ton, but I man, I I stay up under it all the time. Yeah. Donald, man, what what is one of your top failure points that you think for elk hunters? Well, I got a bunch. <laughs> I just want one. This is a great a great topic, Joe. I think uh, one of the biggest was the short play, which you already talked about it. Uh, but I had another uh, situation with my peep side. Uh, one time, I was shooting a big deer in the public land, and I when I when I 
as I draw my, my bow, I realized my feet was turned. And I was trying because I got a big nose, right? I was trying to turn it. Oh, oh there's nothing wrong with that, bro. <laughs> I was trying to turn it. And I couldn't. And I couldn't. I ha- and I had to pass that big old deer. Uh, and then uh, every time I learned the lesson, and, uh, and every time that I'm going to shoot something, I made sure that my feet, it's, it's right on the on the point, right? And then uh, the last hunt we, we got in, in, in our place up in the mountain, uh, I had uh, a situation with my with my arrow came out of the, the, the D-loop. Uh, and I don't know how I managed to, to I mean, to hold that draw and then, uh, how can I say that, it really is my, my yeah, my draw yeah. i let down and then i i knocked my 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 arrow again without uh it, it, without making so, so many movements this is yeah a- it was like 25 <laughs> yards away it was like 20 30 yeah. yards away but i drew back and i was lucky and and, and then the bulls got stopped start looking smelling and then joe cow call and the, the bull came just like walking and i let it fly but that was another big uh, failure situation I had. Uh, now let me ask you something, man. A lot of times that happens too. When if you draw that bow one time and then let it back down, the next time you go to draw it, that knock will pop off. Uh, there's a lot of times when we draw that bow back that it pinches behind that bow string. So when you draw your bow back, let's just say you crack one open is your, you know, and you, you think you got a shot and you crack it open. When you, when you let it back down, make sure you reseat that knock on the yeah. string. Cause uh, that's really ease, important. It can ease that knock forward just enough for the next time you pop it back, it'll pop off that string and do just what happened to my knock. There's a way, there's a way to compensate for that, um, Beto. And so there's a couple of knots that you can that you can do around the knock before you put your d loop on uh-huh. that avoids the pinching taking place and one of the ways to check is actually to just put the knock on the string and when you draw right and then that you'll see that the position of that knock that knock when it's actually being pinched you'll see it sticking up like that mm-hmm. so when you get it right when you draw that knock is just sitting straight sure. so uh there are ways to 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 accommodate for that and yes that that is an issue like you mentioned what i'm talking about though is it's the violent part of you letting it down mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. springs that knock forward and it's not seated fully against yeah. that string again yeah. so the next time you draw it it'll push the knock forward and pop it off yeah yeah not the whole but, knock it'll just pop it off the string just right. barely and it happened to chab and it blew his whole bow up you know his wasn't seated up against yeah, that but, string but but what so combined to what with what you're saying is that if that knock is not pinched when you let down it's not being held by the string and the the force going up so it minimizes that being gotcha. an issue Yes. So let me ask you this, Manano, had any of those things that occurred, you know, your peep turning and that knock coming off like that, had any of that ever happened to you in practice? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, because because you, when you're practicing, you're relaxed and calm. There's no real lack of 
Well, I don't uh, think. But how could how could Veralakis turn your peep sight? See, I don't, I don't <laughs> get that. Now, most of the time, that happens because no. you put your bow in a torqued position where no, the thing is, the peep uh, sight turns. Huh. The thing is, I I I always try to have a routine mm-hmm. when I hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got that from golf i used to play golf and when you're playing golf you you must have a routine before yeah before uh uh making your 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 shots so i always try to do a routine when i I mean when i'm when i'm hunting but when you got nerve or or your lag is involved i mean it happens so quick so you just miss you, you probably miss just part of your routine and then you you don't check your peep side or you don't check if, if the arrow is well not. So when you're practicing, when I'm when I practice, I try to 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 follow my paths, to follow my routine all the time. But the thing is, if you if you let the virulacus go, I mean inside you and, and, and make changes of your pattern of your routine, that's gonna happen. So. After this situation, I try to 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 put myself in in in, in, in under the situation that I have to. I must follow my routine. That's why I'm trying to be cold blood when I'm taking a shot. Right. And one of the most important part to me is just to make an ethical shot. So I don't I don't I don't let the virulacus go in my head. I always got the relaxed after the shot. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to judge pretty well the distance. So I'm, I'm I don't I mean the worst thing is making a a, a marginal yeah. shot. Right. That's going to kill me. Yeah. So that I I think that happened uh pretty fast in those in, in those two situations mm-hmm. and uh I missed part of my routine. That's right. why uh that's why it happened. But I got a bunch of or finger pound as us going on with Luis and and Anor, you know. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I, I'm, I echo his same sentiment. It happened to me this year, Joe. You know, it yeah. forced me to shoot yeah. hit camp without my peep sight. So yeah. see where my bow shoots without my now I know my bow shoots about six inches to the left right. um without my peep sight. So I'm fine, you know. Uh, I know exactly what happens if I need to, if that happens to me, I know exactly what I need to do, but I incorporated something in my, in my routine, like Bonanno's talking about. And, uh, and I've never had this happen. It, what happened to me is my bowstring got worn. Okay. And what happens is when it gets worn, it'll get another wrap in it and it'll actually turn that peep on you right now. My bowstring's almost brand new. So, I mean, it comes back every time and you don't have to worry about it. Doesn't matter. I still turn my bowstring, make sure it's where it needs to be when I drag it back. And you know, that way that doesn't happen to me. Now, if it happens in the heat of battle, I know exactly what I need to do to to fix that. But it wasn't because it wasn't until after I had that bull standing broadside at 35 yards and draw it back and it's solid black in my eye. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? You know, uh, I'd have killed that bull stone dead if he'd I could have seen through that. And, and I think the key to avoiding things like this is find ways. I mean, you got to really get creative to find ways to put yourselves in positions or situations or scenarios 
that are out of your rock star backyard shooting form. Sure, you know, I mean, wh- whether it's um, timed competition where you guys are running to a spot and you have to, you know, yeah. and, and pressure's on or you're doing a sprint coming back and you got to shoot within five seconds because that's all you have in that window, you know? Um, and, and this might not be absolutely not optimum what you want, but don't prepare for optimum, man, because that's not hunting. That's definitely not elk hunting, man. Because- yeah, when, when I killed that bull right behind me, when Joe had me run down, thank God we had to run down the mountain. <laughs> I have to run up. So we, But we ran a long way. I mean, it was a daggum long way to get there to where we needed to be. And then by the time I get there, boy, puffing and puffing, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I, had, I had to – you know, get it together and take a deep breath and let it out a little at a time and make a shot. I mean, but we, we work on that stuff, you know? Yeah. We work yeah that's that. So Cole, man, um, last time you, you kind of agreed with, with, uh, Gilbert on the, the whole shot selection thing. And so you, that was like at the top of your list right there as well, you know? And I think, and I think that's a huge one guys that I'm glad. And I think that is definitely in the top 10 poor shot selection. Right. But uh, uh, Cole, I want to hear what's next on your list. Um, So in the beginning, um, I think one of my big failure points was um, I, once I got a bull engaged or once I got a response, then I wasn't calling enough. Um, I think I would, I was, I was at the time I was afraid that I was going to scare that bull away and I think that was a big failure point for me. Um, that's what I had wrote down. So you're saying that you, all right, I want, I want to wrap my head around that. So you were saying that you weren't calling enough back at that time. So I didn't know what I was saying. Like I I had the gist of just, I knew what a bugle was, right? but I didn't have any clue that by adding voice to it or anything like that would change, you know, what was being said right at the time. Um, same thing with like doing cow calls. I was, I was kind of uneducated, I guess. And I was afraid of scaring that bull away. So I would just close the distance or try to close the distance of where I thought he was again. And I would never call again. So I think that I wasn't, for one, I wasn't educated in my calling and I wasn't calling enough so that I could keep him engaged. If that makes sense. You were missing the, the, the painting a picture portion. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. What was he saying to me? Right. For well, sure. You, I, I had what, no clue. What, what's he trying to tell me? You know, I think that is 100% right after shot placement. I mean, it's number one on my list, but right after shot, it's definitely understanding how to speak the language, Joe. Uh, it's a failure point if you don't know what the bulls are saying, right? Or what the cows are saying. The language of elk is something that you got to dive into. And if you go, I ain't trying to pimp our base camp, but if you go to base camp, you're going to hear about how to speak the language. Joe and our our, our uh, elk bros crew here, we're going to throw out a whole bunch of calling scenarios and everything else. And you can actually start learning how to speak the language. And there's lots of other uh, lots of other information out there for you guys to, to make that happen. But it's so important for y'all to understand that you got to know what the bulls are telling you when they're, when they're talking back. Look, if, if somebody was to ask me 
what are the things that has made me successful all these years? I've got to put that the ability to create an opportunity with being able to understand and speak the language. I speak a language, bro. You know, I mean, it's, it's obvious. And, it, and mix that with the haircut that you got right now. Like I said, bro, man, just cause I don't have that seventh grade fade. Don't be picking on me now, man. Hey, man <laughs> Joe's already established you. He'd rather be a lover than a fighter. <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Right. And you know, and I, and I do, I think, yeah. I think that ability to talk, to speak the language is game changing, man. I yeah. mean, you know, it's the number one most important thing in the world. Well, yeah, because when we hunt like we do, okay, yes. when you hunt the rut, when you hunt the rut and you hunt uh, that power portion of your first, first, sept- first September till the 24th of September, you got to understand what they're talking about. Well, right Chav now. and I used to go out in August 1st. We used to go out in July 25th and we yeah. would bring cows to us with cow talk. Sure. So, you know, there, there's other, and you can use that language all different times of year. Now, is that the strategy I want for rifle hunting a bull? No, it's not what I want, right. but, but you can learn to speak that language. And, and you know, what Luis was saying, like when he, when he said to Cole there, though, was he said that, you know, um, you didn't, you know, you weren't missing, missing the painting a picture portion. Yeah. Painting a picture. That is a whole different level because I think, I think that people, number one, when they understand why they're calling, what type of animal they're dealing with, what that animal's mood is and why they are talking or doing what they're doing. I think that's huge in step one, because until you understand that and you have a little bit more to do, like, okay, so look, y'all, I hear people all the time, like when they start calling, they get out in the woods and they got a real decent location bugle or, and if you have a good location bugle, understand this, that means that you can do a scream. That means that you can do a roundup. That means that you can do a a lazy advertising bugle because it's just length of volume and inflection, right? Mm -hmm. All it is. But, uh, what a lot of those people would do when they get out there is they, they wouldn't understand the language and they wouldn't know how to respond. And so they end up doing something that repetitive. It's, it's the bull out. they're limited, but here's what the one that, that really gets me is when those people have a decent location bugle and then all of a sudden they, they add this horrible chuckle to it. You know, and yeah. and it's because they they see. Well, you don't even have to yeah. chuckle. That makes you me wonder too, Joe. You don't I've never have to chuckle, man. No, you don't. That makes me wonder too. I, I don't understand how people can have such a terrible chuckles. They really don't. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Especially but, when the bulls are chuckling right back at you. You know, <laughs> look, and all, all I'm saying is, is. Uh, you know, work within your strengths. And if you have the ability, like I said, if you have the ability to to do a location bugle, you really have a variety of bull sounds that you can make. Add to that the easy stuff, just (laughs) panning, you know, just wrecking a tree. Uh Yeah, that is, oh my gosh, man. 
It yeah. is so huge. So what Cole is saying is, is man, that Cole understood that, okay, a bull bugles, I scream at him, uh, or I can cow call at him. So he basically had a very limited language, uh, alien understanding of their mm-hmm. language. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. he was very limited in that. So yeah. you're absolutely right, Cole. I think, I think, People not having that ability are so limited or, you know, that's like what we talked about last time when you've been, you've been locating, 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 and you finally get an answer to this bull that just, and what do you do? Man, dude, Mike Tyson's over there trying to get after my ass. Well, let you know, me I- let me, no add, part of that. let me add to another part to that, though. Another huge failure point, along with what Cole's talking about, is people that go ridge mile after mile after mile after mile, putting out location bugles and cow calls, and they don't hear a response, so they think there's no elk. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge failure point. And it definitely got to give them time, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and a response is not always a bugle. A resp- exactly. They can be coming into you without that. So, you know, that's, that's kind of huge for everybody. Yeah. You know, this year, Joe, when we bailed off and I killed my bull, there were multiple bulls firing up all around us and everything, but that bull that I killed, he actually was coming and you could hear him glunking. And then you could hear him just kind of groaning, you know, and that's how I heard him coming. I was like, Oh my gosh, this, he's not bugling. He hasn't said a word, but I see his feet walking and then I hear him. I mean, he's just all worked up, you know? And then when he comes walking up through there, I range him where I think he's going to come through. And is it was all over with, but he never himself, he never bugled, you right. know. Uh, and I wouldn't have really been, I done stepped over one bull to go down there to try to figure out where they all were, and they were just multiples all around us, you know. Yep. So when he starts coming, he he kind of shuts up and he's wanting to see the big bull that Joe's acting like up above us and the big herd of cows that's with us, you know. So it was so cool to watch that unfold. Um, and we had what was crazy. We had to pull off another big herd of elk to go to these other ones because the wind was jacking us around. You oh, know? And, and, you, and look here. All right. You brought up something that I hadn't even thought about. That's another failure point is people that will end up locked up in a losing situation. Yeah. That have gone sure. Through. For sure. So, sure. Uh, and, and we're coming down this ridge and this bull and his cows come up over the top of the ridge. They've already winded us. Some of them are already nervous, but they're still hanging in the area. And a lot of people would be tempted to go after with a bad wind in that bad situation. And you end up freezing. Yet, and and well, I don't mean freezing cold. I mean, staying there locked down, thinking that you're going to it's actually dark. get a shot or an opportunity, or you continue calling to them, or you keep working it. And the clock is ticking instead mm-hmm. of going, you know this is a lost cause move to the next one and we actually you know there was a point where i was like let's go we're out of here right yeah we had to pull manano and and brendan out of there right because because they could still see them and and so many people get lost in that 
pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, man. They right. see, they see the animal, the animals already know what's going on and they continue trying to work a losing situation. So that is also a failure point, man. Know sure. when to cut your losses and to move on. And, and if anything, by moving off that animal and not, you know, really boogering them, you might get another day. Second opportunity. Yeah. Yes. On, on that. Absolutely. Animal. Yeah. Colin, I've done that many times to where, especially when the wind starts changing in the evening times and we're right on that same level. And we're, I'm like, man, I need like another 30 minutes to get this dude, you know, cause he's just reluctant or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm, you know, at some point you just gotta be like, yeah, it's, we're either going to blow these elk out of here or we can come back and hope they're here tomorrow. And I always try to go back for tomorrow. Yeah. Rather than blow anything out. Yeah. Unless, unless, unless last there is no year or last Yeah. Record, you know, yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, there, there's times where, man, you got to go for the Hail Mary. I mean, you're running out of time or something like that, but, you know, uh, you just got to, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, like, you know, when you're tracking an animal and you know you need to back out, but you have a rainstorm coming, getting ready to pound. Sometimes you got to, you got to have other things happen just because of the yeah. situation, right? Luis, let's go to your next one, bud. Yeah. So similar to what Beto mentioned with regards to shooting downhill, or uphill that you know you should realize that it's not the straight line distance from your bow to the animal but you know from the base even ground that's the actual distance that you should shoot uh one of the things that i learned early enough when we were hunting public land and i remember Imanano and i actually called beto um, back in the day um i was shooting from a tree stand and when i was shooting down from the tree stand i was not bending at the waist Mm -hmm. so my anchoring point was changing with me not realizing and it's interesting because you can see you can line up your peep no problem on that side and still shoot and you're going to shoot high if you don't have your anchor anchor point uh anchor points correct so that was like a big aha moment to me and one of the things I found very useful to remind me, especially when I'm hunting on a tree stand, is that that nose button that I got and I put on the string actually gives me that additional anchoring point. So it forces me to bend at the waist by keeping that contact there and keeping my anchor point behind my my uh, my jaw. So now with the jaw and the and the tip of the nose on that nose button you know, it just forces me to not um, change my anchor point when shooting up or down. So that together with understanding the trajectory of the arrow, especially with longer shots, because we see through that sight and we think that arrow is going to fly, you know, right on the same path of that pin and uh, not the case, right? I mean, especially when we're shooting further distances, that arrow is going to go way up and then it's going to come way down. And so it can help. It goes both ways. It can really hurt you or it can really help you, you know? So if you understand really the up and down trajectory of that arrow, then you, you know before you take a shot of, hey, am I going to hit something above when I take this shot? Or is there an obstacle in the middle between me and the animal that knowing the trajectory of that arrow is I'm going to miss that obstacle and hit that animal where I want it to, even though my shooting 
my spot on the animal may be, may seem covered by that obstacle in the middle. So really knowing that your bow and the trajectory of that arrow helps a lot and just makes you a bit more wise when choosing a shot. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, Keep grinding. You know, if you're shooting multiple pins um, and not a single pin, your pins already tell you that too. I mean, yes. if you're shooting an animal at 50 yards and you have a limb, 20 yard pin is going to be your upper, se- your, your upper uh, yeah, or, echelon or, of. Yeah, yep. if you have a, a limb at 30 yards and your 30 yard pin is hitting that limb, well, mm. guess what? Yeah. So, yeah. So you're going to hit it. You can actually uh, check that. Yeah. Lu- Lu- Luis, do you think that your uh, lighted knocks kind of help you uh, see that trajectory a lot, lot easier yeah, when you're, when you're practicing? Yes. Um, you know, you know, when you, when you take that shot, yes, you, you see the trajectory, but I mean, when you're taking a shot on an animal, that's, that's it. I mean, you, yeah, you, you definitely, to me, the light at knock helps me kind of remember when I rewind the movie in my head of when the shot took place, where exactly did that arrow hit? You know, where did it hit the animal? Um, was it high? Was it low? And if you have video on it, it helps a lot because it just that 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 knock really shows on the video of where the animal hit. And it helps you make a decision then on, you know, how long should you wait before you even go and recover the arrow? 
or you know after you recover the error and gather more information how long should you wait then yeah. so i find a lot of benefit on the on the lighted knocks um in general yeah and and i and i hope people understood what i was talking about though is that you know if you're shooting at 40 you know your 20 and 30 yard pins are are showing you the trajectory of your arrow you know, they're shooting, where they are height is how that arrow is going to go at those mm-hmm. distances. So yep. that's something for you to look at as well when you do that. Gilbert, yeah. what's, what's your next one, bud? Yeah, so next one is my equipment. Okay, so uh, in first, the first one on, on equipment for me is boots, right? Um, <laughs> I had a failure point. Uh, I had a pair of boots, <laughs> oh, yeah. probably four or five years old. Uh, but they had been in my garage through some searing heat uh, here in in uh, in Texas, and I'm sure it weakened the state of the soles on the boot. And listen, these are high dollar <laughs> boots. They're a very well known brand name that I'm not going to mention. Uh, and I'm telling you right now, uh, we took off after a bull. It was me, Manano, and uh, Brendan. Who, who was there to help you? No doubt, Manano was there to to try and help me out. Uh, We took off, and I mean, we got a bull sounding off maybe, what, 250, 300 yards from us, and we take off in a general vicinity, and I was going so fast, I walked the sole off my right boot. And uh, that is not (laughs) something you want to have happen to you, (laughs) is when your sole comes off of your boot. Now, I will say that my brother Manano was ready with some paracord, and we lashed that sole to that boot, and it wasn't another 150 yards. The left sole comes off of the other pair of boots, okay? At least you're having some consistency back yeah. though. So I am dead in the water with a great pair of boots that have no sole on them, and uh, I'm like, what do you do here? You know, I blessed the boys, told them to go take care of their business. And I went back to camp, got me another pair of boots and I was going to hunt by myself solo, uh, the rest of that morning. And, uh, it sucked. I'm going to tell you straight <laughs> up. It sucked. Cause my buddy Brennan got a shot on a bull. I wasn't there to film it or be there. Uh, well, I, you know, obviously I bring multiple pairs of boots to camp with me. Y'all have heard me talk about it. Uh, that morning I just decided that because my other ones were, I've been wearing them. I was going to wear this other pair of boots. I have probably three or four pair of boots. That's, to a, bring. that's a real tough thing though, man. To, you know, to well, you need to inspect your equipment. Yeah. You need to inspect your equipment. If it's older, you, you probably ought to go inspect it, man. So and I guess the fair wear your boots before you go out. And yeah. I had not worn those boots on any of my hiking or any of that stuff, Joe. So I think it's just a good idea for you. If you're going to take it with you, you better go wear it a little bit, see how it's fitting. See, I mean, boots are the mo- one of the mo- my feet are the most important thing to me in the Elkwoods. That and my pillow. Don't forget your pillow on a hunt, okay? That's another failure point that I would say. But don't forget your pillow. But my feet are the most important thing for me. But really good pair of socks. And, yeah, I spend a lot of money on socks. And I have a very good pair of boots, you know. Uh, I think all of you guys would agree, man, we got to treat our feet really well because that's what's carrying us most of the time. You know, you want a pair that can shed water. You want a pair that Dry, 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 dry. Keep your feet dry. You know. So, yeah, and I'm like again, I'm always the outlander on that because I hunt forever. And yeah, you hunt with tennis shoes, but I've seen you hunting boots too, Joe. Yeah, yeah. When we get mud and bad things yeah. like that, but 
there, I mean, I'm talking early days when we really couldn't yeah. afford those things, man. We hunted right. in shoes and got wet feet and, right. and it's not comfortable, but I, I think your point that I want to go back to though, is, is that really, I mean, it could happen with anything. I mean, that could happen sure. with your, your rain gear laminated. Yeah. There's all kinds of things. So I think the key is, is inspecting equipment, inspecting using equipment, equipment. That's right. um, you know, using it in the same situations that you're going to be hunting in prior to know how it's going to react. If you're going to wear a glove while you're, um, oh my God, yes. you know, while you're shooting uh, a release, you had better know how that's going to feel and, and, and work. If and, you've never shot with a glove on with your release, you need to. Yeah, it, it cost Tucker a giant bull. In Absolutely, man. You know, he never well, not just glove on. Not just all that, but like for some Back of those backpack backpack hunters out there, I tell my guys all the time, y'all, don't don't pack your backpack right before you get in the truck, and that be the first time that you've touched all your equipment. Yeah. You know, if you're going out there and you're planning to stay in that thing for seven days. You had better already have slept a few nights in it. You had better have pulled it out, make sure you know how to set it up, all that stuff. It's not just for your boots or anything like that. Like yeah. you're depending on living in that stuff. So make sure you go through it and you're familiar with everything that you have to Great keep point. you in the hunt the whole time you plan to hunt and not at the trucker in town. And I'll take that a step further, man, because I know a lot of these people that they'll go up and do a backpack hunt and they'll go out and buy some, uh, I'm not going to give names of different brands of dried foods, but they'll go buy it to eat on that hunt for the first time and find out yeah. that the system doesn't agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and they're miserable. Yeah, um, I know those guys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it takes yeah. a while for your stomach to adapt. Yeah. You oh, might, yeah. Want, to, you might want to go and meet with, with Luis and Manano before you that. come to Elk Camp, son. Because well, I'm telling you, they're, they're, what they put in your system, whew. Talk about shooting ourselves in the foot, though. I mean, Manano and I <laughs> suffered from really uh, that exact <laughs> failure point happening to Joe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's like, I mean, I'm, I'm, so talking, to... I'm talking Manano and I were probably 20 to 30 feet behind Joe, and we were gagging. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> felt like vomiting. And I catch the blame for that. I, you know, yeah, this guy's my fault. You know, Y'all give me the fault, right? food, and it's my fault. Man. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. number one, learn to lead and not to follow. Yeah, man. <laughs> don't, man, don't go in circles, boys. Yeah. <laughs> don't have that problem, man. Yeah. Look, I think it. another thing I want to mention with equipment, man, is, is uh, you know, what you put on the end of your arrow. You guys stay with cut on contact stuff. Man. I don't care if it's two blade, three blade, four blade. Stay on a con- cut on contact that flies great in your system. Stay away from with the mechanical. If I may, for just help. take it, take it a step mechanical. further, and think of structural integrity. No. Your arrow shouldn't be wobbling, moving anything. It's got to be a solid piece of equipment, no moving parts. Yeah. Structural well, integrity. Said last time, man, when you think about it, the most important part of your arrow that's going to determine what happens to that animal going down is going to be that broad hit. So, you know, uh, and again, I mean, I've been victim to all that stuff. I've been through buying the satellites because they were the most inexpensive broadheads on there. But, 
you know. Um, so well, look, Indians you can have buffalo for years with flint on the end. You of can the have the best. So you can have the best broadhead, if, if, but if your arrow doesn't have a good structural integrity, the moment it hits, it's going to part bend, and if it's not flying properly, that broadhead is not going to penetrate. So again, I'm just, just talking about a cut on contact versus versus uh, uh, mechanical. Yeah. The yep. mechanical absorbs a lot of energy. So I'm I'm not saying that that people that shoot a big, huge adult arrow that's real heavy should, should um, not worry about mechanical energy. What I'm saying is mechanical it, has no structural integrity. Right. I'm I'm with you. So we're I talking agree. the same thing. Same thing. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So I just want guys, and there are people out there that kill bulls with them, man. I, good on you. Look, good luck to but, you. Yeah. Cause I'm, I've been, but I've been a privy to yeah, I've been a privy to one of my best buds that's sitting right here with us, the ninja Leroy Chavez. Got a giant bull walking in on us. He clips a little limb and it opens that broadhead up prematurely. And, you know, we, we're, you know, a 12 hour tracking job later and 1.8 miles forever getting back to the dead dumb bike from some of the worst deadfalls you've ever seen in your natural born day. And uh, I mean, instead of we should have been drinking, uh, having an adult beverage and toasting a dead bull there in front of us, man. And, so, and calling for the calling for us a, a daggum plane ride back or something, man. I, I mean, seriously, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to give the last, um, I'm going to give the last one for this evening on, on this. Uh, we'll pick this up again when we get back after June. Uh, and we've got a couple of mailbox questions here. So yeah. uh, I'm going to give what I think uh, is one of my top. And, and you heard me talk about the language. And I'll tell you, there I, there's a few things that I think, again, have helped me be successful. One was speaking the language. The other one was... Bananas perfume. <laughs> oh, okay. My bad. I'm sorry. I, I, I started doing this before I ever had this bump on me. So, <laughs> in, in fact, you guys, anyway, never mind. I'll get off task here. But uh, uh, I, I think it is the ability to hunt fearlessly. And Oh, yeah, Joe. I, and, I know where you're going. You yeah. know, I think so many people, their biggest failure point is that they want to avoid being out in the dark or in areas they've never been, or they never want to dive off a trail or they want to stay wow. close to a road or they want to stay yeah. close to camp or they got to wow. be with two other people because they, they have an innate fear of being lost or not getting back or the monsters under the bed or the things that go bump in the night. And, and wow, that's a, that's a great, great and an amazing point. We, we had a conversation with my father and I today, and we were talking about that particular point. Uh, when, when we hunt in Venezuela, we got a big, big, big jungles, like tropical jungles, right? Mm -hmm. With jaguars and stuff. So what is with what? Jaguars. <laughs> oh, jaguars. I thought you said showers. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, jaguars. Yeah. So one of the biggest fear we, I mean, every single Venezuelan hunter had uh, before lost. was the, to get lost. So and after GPS Maybe jaguar arrived, food. Yeah. And after shower, the GPS food. arrived, um, that fear disappeared and, 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 and it sounds crazy because we got a, a, a conversation today about it 
and 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 I was explaining my father about the apps, the like Onyx or Base Map or and every single app that is out there right now. Uh, it's a it's a game changer because you will be able to such a game changer. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, hold on, I had everybody freeze up on me here for some reason, man. Him, dude, I thought you. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were having. I was all closed and everything. I thought you were having a. He's mad at us. Yeah, no, I thought he had all closed. So, did you call so, it a stroke, yeah. a brain stroke? I thought you had a brain stroke. You were like. Uh, I was like the only one. I th- I thought t- I thought that I hit this dimensional thing. I was the only one who <laughs> was frozen, man. So so my side. But so, going back to that, Manano. Uh, oh, are, okay. Yeah, he was staring. I thought he was still frozen. <laughs> but, but but start with that again. The conversation that you had with your dad about GPSs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we have a conversation today uh, about the the electronics the gps and the apps we have out there right now i've made a work for every single one in the woods so uh, one of the biggest fear uh, as a venezuelan hunter and everyone in in venezuela was to get lost Mm -hmm. on on, on those huge i mean huge tropical jungles right right some bad jaguars and unbelievable snakes snakes i mean it's a it's a it's a nasty it's a beautiful though but it's a nasty situation to get lost in those jungles so uh we and and that's like music to my ears because we 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 had a long discussion i had like two weeks without talking to my far because i was too busy and we have a beautiful conversation today about the gps and the apps Mm -hmm. uh and, and that was a, uh, that's a, a game changer for, for, for every single one. That, yeah. Now you can hunt fearlessly. You can go whatever you want without, without looking before, even before the GPS or whatever. After you go across a mountain or your, or a flat land, after you finish your deal, you can start looking where you at. Yeah. And you don't so, even and then you can go it. back. Yeah. yeah. So it's a game, game changer. And this is like five. I mean, when I, when I came here and start hunting, I use uh, Google earth to, yeah. to do e-scouting a lot. Right. That's what I found so many public land stuff. And I, I e-scout, I don't know, per hours, just picking good spots and stuff. And, um, uh, I remember I used uh, the uh, to refresh the the uh, the Google Earth. Uh, I used to climb a tree and trying to get signal and trying to refresh. <laughs> the, oh yeah! The, now, uh, the, now you have the, downloadable uh, maps, man. I yeah. mean, you can have them on your phone. You do not have to have data. You do not have to have Wi-Fi. There are still people today that are so limiting themselves because they won't spend $30 for an app that will allow them. Look, I, I went to, I hunt on one of the premier ranches in New Mexico. And mm-hmm. when I went to go hunt that uh, to guide there, everybody else had so much more knowledge level of that place than I did. Yet mm-hmm. I was able to go in and be effective from day one mm-hmm. because I had, uh, I had 
base map on my, uh, I had it on my phone and I had it on a, a, a tablet that I could put on my truck and I could go into an area and I could see in the dark where certain meadows were, where certain hillsides were that I wanted to be at before it got daylight. And I could be there. Now you have to, you have to do your homework and you got to be careful because there's things called cliffs or, or yeah. vertical walls sometimes, <laughs> but you know, that that's just being smart and always, always have backup charging battery, battery. and, have um uh have a compass with you because you can always get direction on your compass absolutely you know and and just go with that instead of having to use um, your phone that, sometimes yeah. loses yeah. its north yeah absolutely yeah. so um i mean it's 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 imperative that you do those things and woodsmanship man they're you know learn to look around to look Shadows. behind you you know, yeah, learn what side the moss grows on the tree. Absolutely. That's a good point, Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Luis would Shadows. never, Watch never, never learn how to do that. I, I tried to explain him several times, but nah, he's a, it's a, I mean, <laughs> and, yeah, well, I mean, general, general rule, guys, if you can watch sunrise, you know where it's going. So, uh, at the, the shadows, end, the shadows, shadows on your trees, trees. yeah, shadows, the shadows on, on the trees, yep. you, you can, you can kind of tell which, I mean, I'm not trying to be a boy scout here or anything like that, but man, moss grows on the, on the, you know, the sides of the trees, know what your area, what side the moss grows on the side of the trees and you know what direction that's going to lead you in, know where your shadows are, know where your, your sunlight normally comes from and where it ends up in the areas that you're hunting. Uh, it can help you so much if you get turned around or you, you drop your daggum, uh, phone and it crashes on a rock i mean who knows what could happen to you you got to be prepared for that but like joe said man you know i carry a poseidon with me in my bag it's a big uh battery packet charge my phone like 10 times you know so i'm not gonna lose juice where i can't get it to work but you could i carry a handheld gps in my bag too you could like i said have a have something go wrong with your phone and it's not working so uh, there are just lots of tools out there for us. It to, totally changes the game, man, yeah. because, you know, the ability to be out later or be out before daylight, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, and add, and add a satellite communicator that is effective, then then that chips away from that fear as well. Yeah. Absolutely, man. So I, I, I would really say that that is a huge, huge failure point. Because I, I got my Zolio uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, they're on sale right now, right? Right yeah. now, I think you can get those boogers. They're usually two hundred dollars. You can get them for like forty nine dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, and you got one too, Cole, right? Yeah, I sure did. But yeah. what what Joe's talking about there is not uh, everybody has that comfort zone, right? I talk about this all the time whenever I'm whitetail hunting. Is guys have a comfort zone that they can they start to feel when they get a certain distance away from the truck, they they don't like to push past that because they're afraid of that boogie boogeyman or the darkness or whatever it might be. Like what he's saying is is don't get caught back at the truck two be hours curious. before dark and then you hear a bugle where you just hiked from because yeah. it's gonna happen if you do that yeah uh, i don't know how many times that, I, that i've seen guys turning around and going back and i'm like y'all there's a bull bugling right there oh man well it's fixing to get dark 
Yeah. I don't give two craps. <laughs> Me either, man. I got a good light. And, yeah. You know, even if I don't. Down, we're, we're going. Yeah. yeah so now, you, you talked about equipment redundancy. Have it if you can have it in anything, have it in your headlamps and your flashlights, man. Because absolutely. Uh, you know, I we man. live in the dark. Uh I mean it it is the best time to hear bugling animals. Um it's if you why are you going to leave some of the best hunting areas when it's prime time just to ensure you're back to the vehicle so that you can get back to camp so that you can, you know, have that uh, dinner and, you know, it's, it's, it's the wrong focus, man. Yeah. So no, no, yeah. No. How, how, how long were those bulls bugling while we were butchering my oak when Joe and so, I went to go, I don't know. How, how long? Late, how, late, I don't know. thirty nine. Nine o'clock at night, they still rolling yeah. off while we're butchering. He and I war slap <laughs> out, and we're waiting on Joe to come with the cavalry. And I mean, we're war slap out, leaning up against the old carcass of a bull elk, and dead gum bulls are sounding off all around us. All it around, it was cool, man. And we, it was, uh, it was so black cold, some... you couldn't see your yeah. hand in front of you. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was. Yeah, I, I'm gonna get sentimental here, but it was a beautiful <laughs> night. <laughs> It was a beautiful night, the sky and stuff, and we got a dog beverage there. And the, yes, we got we, we had a, we had a we don't need to know there. anymore. I think that's enough. I think that's enough. Yeah, I don't want to get sentimental, but it's starting to get romantic here, man. Yeah, it yeah. was a romantic yeah. evening. Uh, I'm you straight. It was, a, it was we had the serenading going on. Oh, we had a good meal. South real quick. It was an amazing experience. So let's yeah, head down. I won. Oh, go ahead. What are, what are you going to say, Bernardo? Please don't cut me off, Joe. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> man. Oh, my goodness. It was a beautiful experience with my brother, Beto. Oh, absolutely. But you had already said that, man. Nobody cut you off when you yeah. said it. Oh, I mean, well, he cut my inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, sure. Hey, man, I look I, like I said, guys, we wouldn't be that comfortable though. I mean, if we didn't have everything that we had, I mean, we knew where Joe was going. We could communicate because we had the Zolios, uh, the whole nine yards, and we did. We had a romantic evening together. <laughs> oh my our, God! Handling our business <laughs> on the on the old elk carcasses, and uh, and then we just got to kick back. I mean, it wasn't long because. I'm telling you, it took us a while. Of, that was a big old bull. It and uh, it wasn't long. We, you know, we were kicked back over there by the the aspen trees where he died by, and we're listening to all these bulls just go absolutely berserk. And, and you know, you're totally can, relaxed. See, that's we the were, difference, man. man. It's so cool. And, and that's the thing so I want cool. to tell people too is when you're out in the woods and it is dark, and you start to get this anticipation inside of you, yeah. slow down, yeah. relax. Right, and, and listen to these words. Yeah. There's no difference between the daytime and the nighttime yeah. other than the color. That's it. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. it. And There's it. nothing out there in the dark that couldn't get you in the day. Absolutely. I promise. <laughs> My grandpa told Except me for that. The bears. My grandpa told me that a long time ago. Let me tell you something. Them bears are out during the day, son. Uh, and they get, all get a pass from me. So uh, they spared me and Chad's life, so they get a pass from me. Well, let's go to the Elko's mailbox, man. We're going to knock this out. And, and cool. uh, we got two questions, and then um, – We'll we'll see each other in in uh, in July, man, and we'll get cranking in July, man. So, uh, 
Chav, take the first one. Okay, uh, Terrence Fuller from Ohio asks, what do you do if you see if you are seeing plenty of elk sign in an area, but none of the elk are responding to calls? Oh. Yeah, there. They're there. Yeah, they're definitely there. Look for them. Yeah, if, if those animals, man, if, if you are seeing plenty of sign, and if you're seeing sign, you're probably smelling sign, right? And it, it just depends on what's going on. There could be a lot of reasons that you're not hearing animals responding. But what I want to say is, is everybody, again, this goes back to what we were talking about. Everybody thinks a response from an elk has to be a verbal, and it doesn't. Elk will come into you silently, man. If you are in an area, and what, what I love to do, especially, man, is to work and sound like a group of cows or a small group of bulls if it's early season, and I'm working through an area, generally transition from feed to bed where I like to move through, crosswind, and I'm calling and have those boogers come into me silently. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to comment to uh, Joe that, you know, depending on what the area looks like mm-hmm. uh, and depending on what time of the day mm-hmm. you okay. are in the area, because they may be going through or transitioning, like you said, through that area at different time of the day, depending on is it, is it a saddle? Is it, you know, a transition area? What, what kind of area is it? And what time of the day are you in that area? And what time of the day you should be in that area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, keep moving too, man. You know, because sooner or later, you, if there's sign there, you're going to run into them. Keep using your wind and then it, it, understand, make sure if you're doing a scenario and you're calling, you're giving yourself 30 to 45 minutes in these sets because a lot of these and that bulls was the other are coming. Thing I was going to say, Gilbert, man. I'm in silent. If, yeah. if, if I'm up in a bedding area, uh, up in there at all, and I'm smelling or seeing fresh sign, then I'm going to, I'm going to put on a scenario. I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to give it time. I have nothing to lose. If it's that midday, man, most people are back at camp. And let me tell you the best time to get a bull to react to you is midday. Oh yeah. Because especially in satellite bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of them, man. Yeah. All of them will. So if just because you are seeing plenty of elk sign, and you're not hearing elk verbally responding does not mean that they're not they're responding. Not there. yeah. There's other ways that you can kill those boogers. So uh, that's what I would tell you, man. Um, Gilbert, you take Jim's. He says, uh, hang on just a second here. Joey says, first of all, Jim Clancy. For, yeah, Jim Clancy, Mr. From, Jim Atlanta. Clancy from Atlanta, Georgia. He says, uh, first of all, thanks for all you guys do. Love the show. But for my question, he says, I've never been at high altitude. And I hear people talk about altitude sickness. That's a real deal, Brother Jim. He says, how would I know if I have it? Oh, it ain't no mistake. You will feel it. (laughs) What does it feel like and how can I keep from getting it? That's a great, great question, Jim. Aspirin. Yeah. I feel be, be there two days before the hunt, three yeah. days before the hunt. He's he's got Big O's remedy right there, uh, for sure. I I suffer from asthma, so in most of it's exercised and weather induced. Could be allergy induced too. For me, it's really about getting up there and getting my lungs used to that thin air. Uh, and I go through an aspirin regimen a week before I go to the mountains. I take one bare aspirin a day, helps thin the blood down a little bit. And, uh, also, uh, I get there a couple of days early 
So it doesn't feel like that 900 pound gorilla sitting in the middle of your chest. Uh, Cause you know, where we hunt up 10, 10,000 feet, I mean, you know, from 8,500 to 10,000, there's just absolutely no air up there. Somebody sucked it all up from us flatlanders. So what does uh, it feel like to have, I mean, yeah, I was going to say you feel, first you thing feel is your lightheaded. Yeah. You get, get lightheaded and get it, get a headache like that. And some people, I've seen some people in very, very high altitude actually uh, throw up. Yeah, they, they, get, they get they get so dizzy, they feel so bad, and they just start throwing up. It's generally, a real throbbing headache. You know, yeah, major headache and uh, some fatigue. Yeah, make sure you, that you drink plenty drink of water. Plenty of water. And, uh, and of I breath. Would say, pace yourself if you can't make it up to your spot days and days before you know make sure you pace yourself your first couple days because it it will affect you whether it's going to be minor or major uh it you can kind of by taking those precautions like gilbert was talking about with the aspirin but on top of that pacing yourself and then drinking tons of water and making sure you're eating too yeah 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 Got to have fuel. Got, you know, a Ferrari can only go so far if they don't have any gasoline. So, got to put fuel in the in the. Are buggy. you a Ferrari, yeah. Beto? Absolutely. No, <laughs> I'm more like a Volkswagen man. I'm dependable. He I'm kind of slow, but I'm begin. I'm dependable. <laughs> slow. I got only one gear, one, one speed, and it's slow. But I'm gonna get freaking there. Exactly. So, Gilbert, we'll get there. So Gilbert, how did Carl Gamage tell you to prepare the first time? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Carl Gamage, uh, y'all hear me talk about Carl Gamage, but Carl Gamage told me the first time that I was going to come elk hunting, I said, well, how should I prepare? He goes, oh. he said, well, let me tell you right now. He said, just go in there. He said, you go to Walmart. I said, yes, sir. He said, go in there and get you one of them Walmart sacks and tie it around your head and poke one <laughs> hole in it for your mouth to be there and go run around the block three or four times with that Walmart bag tied over your head. And I thought, this guy's absolutely crazy, man. He goes, you ain't going to be prepared for it, so don't worry about it. He said, just show up. He said, but if you want to do something, pull the damn Walmart bag over your head and poke a hole in it. He said, now, be careful because you live down there in Texas. They might call the law on you. <laughs> now, Carl Gamage was from Texas, so he knew. Ask me how he knew. I don't know. But uh, I know Carl Gamage was right. I guarantee you, you couldn't have uh, I have I have since tried that and it does work. <laughs> no I'll tell you right now. No, no tell me you yeah. did try it, that, bro. It, absolutely I've tried it because I wanted to try to mimic I wanted to try to mimic that that low that low oxygen deal. Oh, don't, don't, again, again, another out. another disclaimer, don't do this at home, guys. So well, what Carl Gamma said works, but I'm telling you, you just can't prepare for it from us being where we're from it's the reason why we moved our olympic training facility to colorado springs because when we uh-huh. in the 70s or in the 60s when they went down to mexico city they got hammered in that low altitude or a high altitude so they actually moved our athletes where they train at high altitude now and <laughs> it is a definite big deal uh that you're going to face when you go to altitude mr clance right. and uh, just prepare for it try to get there early 
So I, I know number one, Carl's up there going, dumb butt. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he, I, I guarantee you. I mean, he he, uh, he knew. If, but if I'm going to tell you right now, Carl Gamage told me to try something, I was going to do it. You know, if he and, told me a jackrabbit to pull a freight train, you better hook it up. And, and the other disclaimer is we are not sponsored by Walmart. I, I just want people. No, to- <laughs> we're, not, we're not sponsored by Walmart. So, uh, uh, we are not. But the, I'm going to tell you, Carl was right. It's just not much you can do to prepare yourself for that heaviness that you're going to feel. So, you know, I, I listened to some, some guys that were my, you know, that were my doctors and stuff like this. So, well, you know, you can get on some aspirin, try to help you out. But the most important thing is get there a couple of days early and acclimate. And I think Cole Wilkes said a mouthful when he said, Hey boys, don't go kill yourself the first couple of days out. Pace yourself, you know. Yeah, I remember. I remember a year when Luis showed up, man, and I mean he was gung ho. <laughs> we set camp up in the middle of a hailstorm in the morning, and he went with Joe and them. Uh, I've been there before. I stayed in camp and stayed asleep, and Joe he went out, and man, he was rough for the next few days, because you know, <laughs> yeah. he he went hard, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's something you got to pay attention to. For yeah, sure. I was trying to keep up with with Joe and Chav, man. Yeah. Um, the very first morning after, you know, only a couple hours of sleep, but well, I don't regret a, it. I saw my first elk there. I'm going to give a teaser, man, because, um, one of our shows that is coming up following this one prior to us coming back is, uh, we do, I, I just did an interview with Bob, the Billy goat Collins. And, uh, and he is from upstate New York. Um, he wanted me to make sure that he, you know, after we got off the air, he said, he said, Joe, he said, I wasn't going to say this on the air, but I want you, when you see Gilbert to let him know that, uh, I am one of those packing and hauling type Billy goats. I'm not that hugging and therapy kind. So don't him be hugging on me. So, unbelievable. But, but we have a great conversation because, um, Bob is 66 years old and they call him the Billy goat for a reason. And he's been hunting up in the mountains for uh, 20 some years. And he talks about things like altitude sickness and preparedness and pacing and and all these different things it is a great conversation so i know you guys will really enjoy that that's coming up here in the next couple weeks as well as you as you listen along so um uh, you know one last thing about what cole said it's important to eat and we eat we try to bring bananas with us too to keep potassium in our bodies and i'm I'll tell you another thing that I started using with my athletes too is pickle juice. So I'll have pickle juice with me too, because I get a lot of, I can get cramped up pretty quick, Uh, especially me. I I sweat like crazy man anyway, when I'm in the mountains, even when it's cold. So uh, I I was going to say some salt pills. Yeah. Yeah. You have a saving for people sweating. Yo, hey. No, no, he doesn't. He does not have one. Man. So. <laughs> Don't even try, That's only for L camp, man. Bro. That's only for L camp. When you say you brought that, also when you said you brought that, we make people feel that they are in L camp. So I, yeah. I was going to ask when you say you brought the banana. Joe shut that one what? down quick, didn't he? Yeah, no, we're we're, we're not going to like, lease right now. Who'd you bring the bananas for? Yeah, you'll gonna... hear it later. <laughs> and the, the other yeah, thing is like, he'll bless us with it later. <laughs> and and you mentioned the sodium, Gilbert, but there's yeah. something, it can go the other way too, because especially these guys that are doing backpack hikes that aren't drinking enough and they're yeah. doing high sodium foods and mm-hmm. a lot of these, um, uh, these foods 
that you add water stuff are a lot of high in sodium and man, it can do you the other way too. So you got to be careful with that. And you got to make sure like Cole said that you're drinking water, man. So uh, bro, why don't you close this out? Sounds good. Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate and review us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show, just send your questions to INFO. That's info at elkbros.com. Guys, a tremendous show, some really good nuggets about our failure points, many more things for us to discuss. We wish all of our grinders out there and uh, all of our listeners uh, a, a very safe and awesome summer. We'll be back to you guys soon. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. And you've been hearing it, you've been hearing it, and you've been hearing it, and you're going to hear it again. Our brother Tony Wintrip closing out the show. Absolutely. Peace, peace, everybody. Peace. We hooked up on a Friday night for a popcorn and a Pepsi. I ain't much of a city boy, but I'll see how far it gets me. Yeah, we talked of how we grew up and how we both were raised. Things that meant the world to us And how we'd spend our days And I said, just so you know There ain't no surprise These six words from my heart May open up your eyes Girl, you're gonna miss me Miss me in September I'll be on a mountaintop On a three-week bend
Live my 